Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on Tuesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Damon Barr is in. We are loaded up, man. I'm going to talk a lot of football today. Sit back, relax, and uh, be a part of it. Can join us. 466-3776-466-3776-1-800-825-5865. Those are the numbers. You can find us on Twitter. Give us a follow. At Schmidt underscore radio. At Damon Barr, that's two R's. And email Chris at HaleVarCity.com. Some schedule thoughts. Where can Nebraska go? What's the over-under for you? As Vegas has said, five. Good for Vegas. We'll talk with Danny Burke later in the week. The pride of Chicago. Works with VEASAN. And uh, get his take on things. But Mitch Sherman is today from The Athletic. We love talking Nebraska football with Mitch Sherman. Uh, The return of Rick Pizzo, Big Ten Network, Big Ten Buffet. We will sift through the (laughs) a lot of a lot of history, a lot of timeline discussion as we are excited to kick off here in a month in two days. And then uh, legendary play-by-play man. He has done everything and anything at an incredibly high level. We welcome in for the first time Tim Brando to the show. Uh, you see him on the NFL on Fox. You see him on college football with Fox. He was here for Scott Frost's first game ever before Mother Nature threw a tantrum against Akron. And excited to spend some time with Tim Brando. You have the numbers to get in. Interesting date came and went, and then it showed up on Twitter. And it's the 24th anniversary yesterday of the famed debacle in the desert where Arizona State kicked off at, hell, I think it was probably like 8 o'clock uh, Sun Devil time, and it was a 10 or 10.30 start back here. I went to that. I was a freshman in college. I greased my parents. Say, hey, remember that fun time we had down in Tempe when Nebraska beat Florida a year earlier? Yeah, let's uh, – Nebraska's playing Arizona State down here. Let's uh, let's get that thing handled. Let's go week two. How about it? Right after Nick Saban gets curb stomped by Nebraska. Let's go watch Arizona State. Ne- no. That, that thing was rough. That was tough. You had a really good Sun Devils team <laughs> and a Nebraska team that was going to be fine. I think they finished sixth in the country in 11-2 and two at first road start for Scott Frost, who got absolutely crucified publicly and by Nebraska fans after that game. Defense played their ass off. Uh, he had six points off of safeties. He had three fumbles for Nebraska. One offensive touchdown by Jake Plummer, who was probably heavily medicated during that time as a hippie from Idaho. And yeah, it was horrible memories. My little junior high brother at the time, we were top row right below the suites at Sun Devil Stadium. 
and I don't know what fraternity house got their daddy's uh, key to get into the suite, but they kept pouring beer on us all game. I turned and opened my mouth upward, as a good Schmidt will do, but my brother was not quite ready for that, and he got drenched all game. And vicious taunts the year before Nebraska dropped 77 on them. And it was glorious. Took your medicine that day, but man. Uh, and I think the Husker guys on Twitter started this <laughs> this trip back memory, memory lane. Oh, it was, it was a, a shocker game, quite honestly. And uh, Husker Game Days, their, their Twitter handle, they're good folks. And yeah, I mean, a lot of you didn't find out till the next day because you couldn't get a hold of it on TV. You'd have a sweet, you know, SpectraVision type cable setup, or you just found it on your Sunday morning slab and you went, what the hell happened here? 19 to nothing. So that, that was interesting to, oh yeah, that came and went yesterday. Pretty cool story uh, by ESPN. You always hear the term, well, how was the sausage made? Um... Pretty interesting from uh, Adam Rittenberg. Adam, uh, one of the top college football writers with ESPN. Heather Denich, of course, pretty well known for her coverage with the SEC and the ACC. But but they lay out uh, an interesting behind-the-scenes story today. Or it came out, yeah, it came out this morning at 6, our, our time, about how the meeting went down that saved the Big Ten season. And it starts off with James Franklin, the second Sunday in September, frantically texting his athletic director, A.D. Sandy at Penn State, like 15 different text messages from Franklin to Barber. And the Big Ten, in their phenomenal communication ways, Pretty much gave crickets. And Sunday, we remember two weeks ago, all right, they had the medical presentation by Barry and company Saturday. Was a vote going to happen Sunday? No, a vote didn't happen Sunday. No, a vote didn't happen Monday. A vote didn't happen Tuesday, despite Teddy Ballgame and the hot mic moment. So Wednesday, you finally get the drop Wednesday morning, a week ago, which was great. But you had so much emotion. And you know what? It really details how the Big Ten went from, here's our schedule, to, well, let's look at at some concerns. And this is August 7th, two days after the 10-game conference-only schedule. Commissioner Warren met with the Big Ten's medical advisory group. Doctors raised what Warren later called serious medical concerns. That ranged from testing to contact tracing to potential cardiac issues. He consulted with the league's sports medicine committee and the infectious disease task force. Warren's got 75 task forces here. And he had multiple calls with athletic directors, presidents, and chancellors. That happened August 7th through August 10th. And then you had the chancel- the uh, committee of presidents and chancellors 
they just they were wondering what to do. Two presidents. Two presidents, I think, put fear and concern in the hearts and minds of many. Two presidents shaped the final verdict. You want bad guys as to why here's a schedule. Uh Uh-oh, we better postpone the freaking season. This per ESPN.com, Michigan State's Samuel Stanley. He has a medical degree from Harvard and a background in infectious diseases. And, drumroll please, as his no-confidence vote is very real, Michigan President Mark Slissel, he earned a Ph.D. from John Hopkins and has a background in bioscience and immunology. Is a Ph.D. the same as a medical degree? No, it is not. Now, Ph.D. is pretty damn impressive from Johns Hopkins, but it's not the same now, is it, as a medical degree from Harvard? A Ph.D. from Johns Hopkins or a medical degree from Harvard? Either way, you got the state of Michigan and their two doctors, one being a Ph.D. with a background in bioscience and immunology at Michigan State, Samuel Stanley, with his medical degree from Harvard, with a background in infectious diseases. According to a source, Stanley and Slissel carried the day as the Big Ten presidents met. They put the fear of God and COVID in the other 12 chancellors and presidents. What data were they using? What were they worried about? Now, both declined comment for this story. So by late afternoon, August 9th, the Big Ten presidents and chancellors favored postponing the fall football season. You had the two smart guys that had medical backgrounds lay out what their concerns were. You can still have that conversation. You can still have that thought process and expertise But you don't have to postpone and burn daylight and time and keep people jumping from left foot to right foot to back foot to front foot if you're a horse. And those two presidents, their concerns were heard because of their background and you had the vote to postpone, alleged vote to postpone August 11th. August 11th, Warren told ESPN it was based on science and the uncertainties that surrounded COVID. So what needed to change was this medical subcommittee, again, take a drink, subcommittee was formed. You had Borchers from Ohio State, Barber from Penn State. They got the list of concerns from the presidents. It wasn't a priority list, but each item would need to be addressed with concrete data and expert opinion. And you know what? You have some real concerns. I mean, you have Maryland and their AD, Damon Evans, and head physi- you know Maryland's head physician, Dr. Rooks. They were on the Big Ten Medical Subcommittee. They're still dealing with what happened to Jordan McNair. I mean, he died. He died of a heat stroke. And that's a constant reminder in our league, and rightfully so, of what needs to happen from a proper protocol standpoint. So 
the thing that was important here is Ohio State's medical guy took the lead. He had a lengthy, cordial meeting on September 12th with the subcommittee clearing the hurdle with their first presentation. And you needed a bigger picture. You needed a bigger picture pre- picture presentation so the chancellors and presidents could save face on a reversal. Hey, we're going to revisit. Are we revisiting because of public pressure? Are we revisiting because of lawsuits? Are we revi- Oh, there's new medical information to the tune of four different rapid COVID testing options and the science and technology to tell you if a player is positive before he's contagious. So in a roundabout way, the Big Ten did wait, got the newest and best data, and we're off and running. Now, I'm a little freaked about Notre Dame having to postpone their game because of positive COVID tests. Uh, I need more info on that. Like, how did you... Notre Dame's been locked up. They've been in a bubble. Did they get it because somebody was positive and made a tackle? Or did they get it because three or four guys on the eighth team went to linebacker's bar and closed it down? Which is awesome. That's my question. So pretty good article. Pretty insightful article. We'll dive into some thoughts with Mitch Sherman. And there are topics to get into with Nebraska. And so, and we'll spend some time with with Mitch on this and good stuff from HaleVarsity.com. You've got the, the 2019 recruiting cycle. That's Wandale. That's Bryce Benhart. That's Nick Henrich. That's Ty Robinson. That's Noah Pola Gates. That's McCaffrey. That's Houston and Tompkins and Hannah and Ramir Johnson. Uh, that's also Miles Farmer and Chris Hickman and Garrett Nelson and Snodgrass, and some guys on the offensive line and Buda Wright that you're looking at as an outside linebacker, and Jakeem Green, Keem, what does he do on the defensive end? It's a big-time class. So who from that 19 class, aside from Wandale, can you expect some big things out of? Uh, obviously, you got Diedrich Mills who was part of that class. Can he... Can he have a, a you know a repeat performance? Can he can he start the year like he finished the year for Nebraska? Uh, when it comes to uh, McCaffrey, what what are some fair things to think about with his role? If Adrian struggles, that's that's one thing that's honestly on my mind. Like Adrian's played Ohio State twice, had a really good game, but not perfect. Clearly, as a true freshman. Got the hell kicked out of him a year ago because Ohio State was incredible. So what what does year three look like for Adrian against Ohio State? And, you know, where do you sprinkle McCaffrey in? Catching the football, working on some packages. The guy is really good and talented and can throw and can run. And you don't want to let him gather dust. But you also don't want to break rhythm if Adrian's rocking and rolling he's been pretty good at least in the run game in the red zone overall red zone touchdowns not so great throwing the football adrian's made his money on the quarterback draw and finding his way in there when i think colorado and illinois last year so you know what what role 
and and how expansive is it for a guy like Luke McCaffrey? And you couple that with wanting to use him but keeping him healthy if it's bullpen time or if Adrian gets hurt. I mean, he's missed games the last two years because of health. Uh, One guy going wrestling move on Adrian in the opener against Colorado. The other uh, a shot below the knee. Not dirty, but dirty enough to keep you out by Northwestern. Defense will be a topic of conversation. We'll dive into it. Mitch Sherman's next on Hale Varsity Radio. And we're back. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio? On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome. Thanks for spending time. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Rick Pizzo, Tim Brando coming up next hour. We say hi to Mitch Sherman from The Athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mitch, how's your Tuesday? My Tuesday is uh, pretty well. Say say hello for me to Tim Brando. I will, man. Friend, good dude. Friend of mine. Yes. He is a good dude. and friendly. He's friendly to Nebraska and its football program, too. You know, that's what I'm interested in, in chatting with him about, just this this uh, backlash by some towards Nebraska. And, Mitch, let's dive in as we look at the, the schedule release that, that happened Saturday. And uh, Vegas says five wins for the Big Red. So uh, I, I'm going to take Damon Barr's private jet out to Vegas at some point. And, and put some, I'm kidding. I don't know what I'm going to do with that number five, but I'm interested in it. And, and the schedule part of things, the schedules, the schedules is the schedule. And it's a tough first four, but pre-COVID, it was going to be a tough last five. How do you view the way things shook out for Nebraska? Yeah, I, I, I think if you didn't understand the way that the Big Ten was working on putting the games uh, together as far as who the opponents were going to be, you could easily look at that and say, what? They gave them Ohio State and Penn State but <laughs> as crossover opponents, but um, that, was, uh, that, that was not a surprise. That was um, understood that the Big Ten was, was, was going to operate with a, with a formula um, that, that landed Nebraska those, those two games. They were on the schedule. And uh, the the, uh, the locked crossover was going to remain. That's Ohio State for another year after this one. And, and then there's only one other crossover at home. There's there, there's only one crossover at home on the original schedule, and that was Penn State. So there you go. Sorry, uh, you don't get the trip to Rutgers, uh, Nebraska, but uh, you know I'm I'm sure they'll be able to uh, to get over that. Um, as for the order of games, uh, you know there were there were potentially more difficult stretches in version one and version two of the schedule. Uh, I understand that you put a non-conference schedule together in a normal year um, as a way to, uh, to, to ramp up, as a way to get ready for, for the bigger games on, on, your, on your docket. Um, and that in, in, in version number two of the schedule, Nebraska kind of had a pseudo non-conference and that it started with the Rutgers in Illinois. And now you trade that out for at Ohio State and Wisconsin. And it's like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a dramatic difference um the order of games does matter but uh this is the hand that they were dealt and you know i i i i think for as much as nebraska has talked over the past month and it's 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 been good it's all been good it's been it's been beneficial i think long term to the program it's been good for nebraska to uh to to uh, have the attitude that it has uh had since since early august um but if you're going to do that 
I think you just have to stand there and take that schedule that they give you and say, we are happy to be playing football this year. So uh, I think that'll be the message moving forward. I know Bill Moose had some things to say on Saturday that were a little bit different from that, but I, I definitely think that when we hear from Scott Frost, either at the end of this week or early next week when they get started with practice, um, you're going to hear a message that uh, Nebraska's happy to be playing football and they are not uh, overly concerned about the order of games. So we'll see. That's uh, that's at least what I'm what I expect. Mitch Sherman's with us from the Athletic. At Mitch Sherman is where you follow him on Twitter. I think the, this group of kids, and you got a lot of kids that have contributed from the 2019 class. Uh, you, you have guys that have been in the program for three years. In some instances, you've got a really experienced secondary. Uh, when you look at at, um, at JoJo and, and Cam and Cam Taylor Britt and of course uh, the two safeties uh, Boodle and and uh, Deontay, man, I think these guys are just sick of of 2020. First of all, but I think they're ready to go, maybe take that next step. I, I'm excited to see where Nebraska is physically on the lines of scrimmage with their experience, and I know they lost some on the defensive side, but also the mentality they have. There's just been some games mm-hmm. the last two years where Nebraska has seemed un, un-Nebraska-like from a historical standpoint. Nebraska used to not fear anybody or anybody, uh, home or away, and you, you had just some moments where, I mean, teams are better than Nebraska. Some teams in the league are a lot better than Nebraska. Some looked a lot better than Nebraska. I'm anxious to see how they kind of mesh that that mentality and that physicality they need. Nebraska has seemed kind of un-Nebraska-like from a historical standpoint for the, much of the last two decades. So um, that, what we've seen in the, in the Big Ten over the last four to five years has only been uh, more of an exaggeration of what the, most of this century has been like. And that's, uh, you know, something that Nebraska is working to change. And that starts in the weight room and it starts um, on the, when you get on the field, it starts at the line of scrimmage. So having said what I did a couple minutes ago about the order of games and how um, <laughs> Nebraska can't worry about it, uh, if you're on that defensive line this next month, uh, well, not just this next month, these past six months. I hope that Nebraska has been getting its defensive line ready because to go against the Ohio State offensive line in week one and the Wisconsin offensive line in week two, the only thing you can be assured of in, in, in seeing that schedule is that the next six weeks are going to be easier. Um, Ohio State, specifically this year in 2020, maybe the best offensive line in the country. Mm. Wisconsin, historically, over the years, great offensive lines year after year after year. And you wouldn't expect this one to be a whole lot different. So that defensive line for Nebraska, that front seven for Nebraska, wow, are they going to get a test in those first two weeks? What a, what a way, uh, maybe not how you draw it up, but what a way to be able to gauge where you're at as a front as a front three, as a front seven on defense, than to go against those two offensive lines at the beginning of the season. And you nailed it. It's going to be easier the, the the following six weeks because you're taking on the best. You can learn. You can get better. Maybe you surprise yourself, and it, it doesn't go like it's gone in the past. And 
We'll see. You know, go go kick off and play the game. We'll see. I want I want to get to to, to go ahead, Mitch. You were going to say I, something. I, I, yeah, I, every week is an opportunity to win. Yeah. And you know, you never you never go into a go into a two game stretch and say, hey, let's try to go one and one, because every week you you have an opportunity, no matter who you're playing, to win that game. And if Nebraska is able to come out of that first two that first two game stretch and they find a way to win one of those games then that's momentum that you take into Northwestern and Penn State. And, you know, I think it helps you throughout the rest of the season. And if you don't find a way to win one of those games, but you play tough, um, then you go, go win the next two. I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you get too far ahead of yourself if you're Nebraska and analyzing the way that thing's going to break down. But each one of those games, including the first two, is an opportunity to go out there and get a W. I want to go to some of Moose's comments, specifically when he was lobbying for crossover games not hurting your division race because there's a scenario like not only for other teams who have crossovers but specifically with nebraska nebraska could put it together and do really well in the west division but Mm -hmm. you could lose out on a big 10 championship opportunity because you go oh oh and two against you know, a top two team and a top five team mm-hmm. in Penn State. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at the, the West crossovers right now and Wisconsin, listen, they're at Michigan and Indiana's no joke, at least based on their momentum from last year. So Wisconsin uh, has has some, some you know, a tough crossover as well. Uh, Iowa, they're hosting Michigan State. Who knows, right? But they're also, they're at Penn State. No whiteout, though, because no one's going to be watching. So Iowa and Wisconsin don't have, um, you know, cakewalks either. Uh, and when it comes to to, to Minnesota, uh, they're crossover Michigan and, and Maryland. So Nebraska is by, by far the most difficult, but it isn't easy for everyone else. It doesn't look like either. Yeah, I mean, you, you could make that case every year that the crossover game shouldn't hurt the uh, your division record and, the, and that, the, that the division champ should be determined based on division record. I mean, if the Big Ten wants to look at that as something to change um, long-term and just and just take those six games and you determine your division champ based on that, um, you know, I, I don't think I would agree with it, but that would be a, that would be a way to go, and you could do it and be consistent. They're, 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 they're playing eight conference games this year in a normal – well, they're scheduled to. In a, nor- in a normal year, you play nine. Um, it's only one game different. I don't think you should shake up the way that you, you you determine a division champ because you're playing one fewer game. It's not always going to be even. Um, that's just the way that that the Big Ten has has set this thing up. In other conferences too, it's very similar. The Big Twelve, no, but in the ACC, the Pac-12, and the SEC, um, it's a similar type of setup. You determine the, the the division champs based on your your record against the entire league. And, you know, I haven't really heard too many complaints about that in the past. I think it should, it should stay the same way this year. Uh, Mitch, uh, I thought I got a couple of minutes left. What do you remember about Adrian Martinez, that first trip to Columbus? And, and I ask that in 2018, 36-31, Nebraska was right there. What, what do you uh, take with you? And it's another opportunity for Adrian and uh, the, and the Frost offense here as we kick off in a month. Yeah, I was watching that game on TV. I was uh, still at ESPN um, that uh, in 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 2018, and I don't know where I was that weekend. Somewhere around the region, probably covering another game. I do know that I was able to watch that game, um, and that was like a moment right there where I thought I was looking at the future. 
Um, we didn't see it, obviously, as much in 2019, and I mean as far as the way that Adrian clicked in the offense. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to see it here in 2020. Um, I think they will have confidence because of that. And going into the horseshoe is difficult anytime you go there. It's not as hard when there aren't 100,000 people breathing down your neck. So it's not going to feel as much like a road game on October 24th as it did two years ago when Adrian, as a true freshman, went in there and represented himself very well. Ohio State at that time was struggling on the defensive side. I believe what they were a week or two um, after coming off of that loss, of that shocking loss at Purdue on a Saturday night in West Lafayette. So they were reeling a little bit um, in that moment. Uh, but give it to Nebraska and to Martinez as a, for, as a true freshman for going in there and taking advantage of some things that were some bad things that were going on with that Ohio State defense. And, and w- w- one thing I remember is, you know, sometimes you'll see that score and you'll go and people will say, well, it wasn't quite as close as the score indicated. That game was every bit as close as the score indicated. Nebraska had an opportunity there um, to to walk out of uh, Ohio State with a with a victory that would have been obviously a signature one for Scott mm-hmm. Frost in his first year, and didn't get it done. It was still a team. Maybe it was a team then. Maybe it's still a team now that was trying to figure out a way to finish games, a way to put opponents away when the opportunity was there. Um, they didn't do it on that day. At some point, they're they're going to do that uh, with Scott Frost on the sidelines. You know whether that's going to be uh, four weeks from now, uh, we'll, we'll see. But at some point, they're going to have a game and they're going to figure it out um, and they're going to get a lot of confidence from that. It almost happened that day two years ago in Columbus. Mitch, good to get caught up again. We'll uh, we'll spend some time next week. Thanks for a few minutes today. Okay, thanks, Chris. Take care. Chime in, 402-466-ESPN, or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me, try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back with you, it's Hail Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt. Damon Barr, good stuff from Mitch Sherman. We'll hit some NFL here. And a couple of thoughts on Monday Night Football. A, I'm surprised, because I know New Orleans jumped out 10 nothing. But I never really questioned John Gruden's ability to coach. I mean, they they shelled out a boatload of money for him. I get that. But, man, he started F-bombing on the sideline. Carr started getting it figured out. And they went, you know, a, a thousand paper cuts to death dumping things down. I mean, the Raiders were out 17-7 and outscored Drew Brees and the Saints 27-7. Now, in fairness, I mean, Brees was out was that was without Thomas and he still had uh, Kamara, who was nice. But for, for Derek Carr to throw for 282 and three touchdowns and they scored 24 unanswered points. Listen, maybe something's brewing in Vegas with Chucky and and maybe he is going to make this th- I can't believe I'm saying this maybe he's going to make this thing a race with the Chiefs Denver looks dismantled Chiefs got a huge win in LA against the Chargers now Herbert looked nice too but man I, I was shocked I mean that's a game that Drew Brees and the Saints roll in and even if they don't play great, even if they're undermanned, <laughs> they go in by a, by at worst a field goal. But 
Chucky and his offense held the football and did their thing. And here's a little bit of the post game. And the reason I'm even talking Raiders is, I mean, everyone's got a Raider fan friend or two or three. And and I know a couple, the, the group we run with, they're, 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 they're just... They're not, they're not even obnoxious Raider fans. They've not done time. They have insurance. I mean, there's lots of things that put you in the Raider fan category. You, you have to at least have, you know, a four-inch thick jacket to, to get in the old black hole in Oakland Coliseum. You got to have some sort of, of body ink, probably even a teardrop or two under your eye to get in the black hole. Vegas is Vegas. The Death Star is what it is, and, and they are 2-0. And a lot of it has to do with one of their captains, Malik Collins. Uh, great Husker, of course, did really well in Dallas and as many points as Dallas's defense has given up. Maybe, Jerry, you should have re-signed Malik to a long-term deal. I know Malik was a one-year, $5 million, $5.5 million guy for, for, for Vegas. But, I mean, he is, he is killing it. And the research done to go get him as a free agent – where Malik will have this one-year deal with Vegas and either be able to go command a four-year monster deal with guaranteed signing bonus money, good for him. But Malik is is like beating double teams. They showed this graphic last night in two and a half seconds. It's incredible where you see Malik and it's his familiar stance where he fires off the ball and then from his interior spot, the guard and tackle immediately one or the other engage with him because he's getting penetration. I know Richie Incognito uh, ended up leaving the game after the first couple of series. He'd been dealing with an Achilles issue, but it was cool to see Malik in, in Oakland bring the win home. This is Vegas. This is Gruden post game. It was pretty fun to see. Nobody was getting publicly beaten in a pit with a giant grizzly bear circa Game of Thrones. Now, this this was Gruden walking into the locker room with a geeked-up group of Raiders, and he's doing the old ear, ear hole, knee, you know, we're doing the, the, the quickness test. you got to follow my movements that you see on the field. And the whole team broke down, and it was it was a pretty cool scene. Now, the NFL is making some money, not just through legal gambling, but also from COVID. Sean Payton and John Gruden were also fined $100,000 for not wearing masks on Monday Night Football, along with the franchises fined $250,000. So far, the NFL's fined Leagues and five head coaches, $1.75 million. That's nuts. Because Pete Carroll got fined. Who else got fined? (laughs) Carroll got fined. You've got Chucky that got fined. I mean, Andy Reid's good to go, and he's got the the defogger working. Good for Reid. But it's... Oh, you have the the uh, Shanahan for the Niners got fined. All right. 
and 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 good old Vic who can't finish a game or figure out how to call a timeout for the Broncos. So those are your five head coaches who got fined. Can I ask this out here? And and listen, I'll, I'll be flat out honest to you. I was the last guy to start wearing a mask, and I and I I did because my wife kind of pleaded with me. She's like, "Look, I, I can't get any more insurance money on you." Don't want it to be a headache. It's not because I love you or care about you. You just need to start wearing one. Asthma boy is, is I think, the note she, she wrote me versus looking me in the eye. So when I go in, and I know it's a mandatory thing when you go to places, you got to wear them. But for the longest time, I didn't. So I've, I, I've, I've adhered. But there's nobody in the stands in an NFL stadium. Guys are tested daily in the nfl i think pretty sure okay can you do your job as a coach with a mask on everyone's been tested both all 53 travel home and away everyone's tested there's nobody in the stands you're all on the sideline really do you find these guys i understand that they're on tv i understand that uh, listen, they need to promote a, a image of health and safety. I get all that. But if you're going to find Gr- Gruden, and I mean, and by the way, Sean Payton's already tested for COVID. He already had the damn thing. So either he doesn't mask up and he gets it again and we go, oh, crap, you can catch it again, or he's fine. I think it's a little excessive for the NFL to do both, find the team and the coach. They are trying to communicate. Gruden did his very damn best to keep the mask on. And he's calling plays. So's Sean Payton. They are calling plays. If you're a head coach and you're a figurehead, I get it. Where maybe you should keep your mask on. But the guys that got fined are, I mean, McVay didn't get fined. I mean, he had he had the, the play sheet over his nose so no one could read his lips. And, and he kept pulling the mask down. And I know... Zach Taylor had the gator thing going in that bangle black. But I, listen, I get the fact that you need to be healthy and safe and not spread COVID and air droplets. And I, I, I understand. I think with the way the NFL is chopped down on fandom, not being allowed, and it's guys you've already traveled with, I think you can ease up a little bit on play callers and head coaches on the sideline. That's just me. We'll wind down hour one next. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour as Rick Pizzo going to be with his Big Ten Buffet. Get into some scheduling thoughts with Rick and how he sees the West and the East maybe shaking out because we can talk, you know, football again. And then an extended sit-down, uh, long-time play-by-play man for Fox one of the founders of College Game Day with ESPN. Uh, we'll talk uh, all things Nebraska, some LSU, and some Bino Cook with Tim Brando a Fox. He did the NFL coverage on Sunday. He uh, has some more NFL this Sunday. And what's really cool about Brando, too, is he's a guy that's going to be uh, checking out Texas, Texas Tech. So he's got your college football Saturday. 
and your NFL on Sunday. 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Going to want to catch the uh, Mitch Sherman interview. Be sure to check that out. ESPN, Lincoln.com, the on-demand section is where you go for that. Uh, I look at Iowa and Wisconsin's crossovers. It's a walk in the park for them. Uh, Nebraska, they'll to win the West. And I know I'm jumping way the hell out in front here, but I'm saying say things get better for Nebraska defensively on the line. They're 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 ready, right? They're ready to take a next step, and they're not they're not as bad as they were against the run. And a lot of that was linebacker play on the interior last year. You could argue none of it meshed. The linebackers weren't either clean or the linebackers took a wrong angle or flowed the wrong way at times. So you need that that A-gap, that interior to be shored up. And you have a chance to be better this year with that. But honestly, if Nebraska can get a split with Penn State and Ohio State, and I think it may not be a one-loss West team. It may be a two-loss West team that wins it. Just because of the crossovers with Iowa, the crossover that the Wisconsin has, Nebraska's crossovers, and then Minnesota as well. They open up with, with Michigan. So I'm interested there. In, in Michigan, by the way, I mean, they, they still got to get through the East. Where do they play this role in the East? Do they sting, dare I say it, Ohio State? Probably not. Do they sting Penn State? What does Indiana do? Okay, and I know I've been harping on Indiana, but Indiana's pretty good. Uh, they are pretty complimentary offensively and defensively. I think Sparty is a nightmare. Honestly, you look at, at Rutgers where they'll probably not play all the games. I don't know. A uh, reminder about uh, drinking and driving. There's over 1,500 crashes each year in Nebraska involving an impaired driver, driving drunk, buzzed or high, Never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working every day to stop it before anyone else is killed or injured. If you have to drive, don't drink. If you do drink, designate a sober driver or get a ride share. Get a ride. A DUI costs more than you think. Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. So we'll get into some more Big Ten thoughts. Nebraska and the landscape of college football with Rick Pizzo. And then Tim Brando will take some more of your emails, Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Got some stuff uh, from Vic out in Colorado. He had some questions. We'll dive into that. And uh, can also find us and follow us on Twitter, Chris Schmidt at Schmidt underscore radio or at Damon Barr with two R's for Damon Barr. And then we'll uh, hear what's for dinner from Damon. If, if it's Tuesday night, date night again with Damon and his lovely lady. Thanks for spending time. Hour one in the books. Hour two straight ahead. Rick Pizzo, Tim Brando. Hail Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hail Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hail Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back to it. It's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery into Hour 2. I have been waiting for this. It's awesome to get caught up with BTN's Rick Pizzo Big Ten Buffet Time. We're 
about a month away from the season at uh, Rick, at BTN Rick Pizzo on Twitter is where you find him. Rick, what's up, man? It's been a while. It has been a while, and I would say that it has been fairly eventful over the past six weeks since you and I last spoke. The postponement of the season, the announcement that the decision would not be revisited, the decision was revisited, it was reversed. I mean, we have been all over the map. We are, at the end of the day, extremely excited that we have Big Ten football to cover starting for real on October 24th. I can't wait for it. I know you're excited about it. What's this journey been like for you? I mean, staying ready to to deliver a 2020 season. Yeah, it's been really interesting. I think it was a little bit of a gut punch when we heard that the season would be postponed and that the Big Ten would look at winter or spring options because it had never been done before. No one knew how it would work, how it would be combined with basketball or pushed into spring with the other fall sports that would also then be competing with your other spring Olympic sports. So at the end of the day, I think when the Big Ten decided it was safe enough to play, it made complete and total sense to start at a time where you get enough games in before the college football playoff to be considered for college football's marquee event. Now, I think the Big Ten also made it abundantly clear that there are protocols. They are remarkably strict. They are, in some people's opinion, perhaps a little too stringent, 21 days for some players if you test positive for the coronavirus. So there are going to be some players, I think it's inevitable, who miss time. I think our hope is that we don't miss games because multiple players end up being sidelined. And at the end of the day, what we want to see is a football season complete without anybody getting really sick. Rick Pizzo's with us. Uh, Hail Varsity Radio, Big Ten Buffet. Nebraska's played a part uh, in this. As you have viewed things, uh, Nebraska was pretty vocal. Uh, Nebraska, along with Ohio State, uh, Iowa, Michigan, a number of Penn State, James Franklin. Rick, what was going through your mind when the, the, the pushback started with that original August 11th decision? Well, I thought it was interesting because at the start, other than some feedback from Nebraska and to a lesser extent Ohio State and Iowa, it wasn't administrator or coach-driven early. Remember, it was player-driven, and I thought that was fascinating. Justin Fields, Heisman Trophy candidate, Ohio State quarterback, comes out and starts the hashtag, we want to play movement, and then so many players got behind it. I understood that. Everybody wanted to play. At that point, on August 11th, there were so many varying opinions, and there was a variance in the testing results. There was a huge variance in even scientists' beliefs in how the season could or could not be run successfully. So I think it took some time for everybody to get on the same page. And I think that's the hardest thing to do is when all this is unknown and everybody has political leanings one way or the other, scientific beliefs one way or the other, to get everyone close enough on the same page to make this happen, I think most of the credit belongs to the medical staff who convinced the Big Ten presidents and chancellors that it would be safe enough to play, and that's the key. Nobody's going to play unless it's safe. So when October 24th rolls around, if it's not safe, you may not see a game that's on the schedule. We hope that doesn't happen, but I think that's why it took so long for all this to come to fruition. But again, Chris, we're just so happy that right now we are, what, just about exactly a month away from kicking off the 2020 football season. Rick Pizzo's with us, Sale Varsity Radio at BTN. Rick Pizzo, 
uh, from a schedule standpoint, Rick, you've been in TV uh, throughout your career. And break this down for me with not only Nebraska's schedule, but the ideas behind the rollout with just stacking some pretty high-level games out of the gate. Not only Nebraska's first four, but Ohio State and Penn State are pretty early. I know uh, you have uh, Minnesota, Penn State. I know Michigan is uh, set up as well for for an early showdown. Minnesota, Michigan, I should say. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it, it's really a nice entree, uh, not just the first game, but really the first four games. I mean, there's some, some coin flip ball games. Yeah, there are some monsters early on. I think Minnesota-Michigan is a terrific week one crossover. Obviously, you mentioned and your listeners very interested in that Nebraska-Ohio State game in Columbus. Listen, let's get to what Bill Moose said because I think that's important regarding the schedule. And I think Bill was basically asking the Big Ten to take into consideration the importance of divisional play. And what I mean by that is that divisional play should determine whether you are – your division champion or not. It should supersede overall play, especially in a year like this, if you are undefeated in your division. So let's say Nebraska loses those crossovers to Ohio State and Penn State. But let's say somehow they find a way to go 6-0. But another team, let's say it's Minnesota, or let's say it's another team in the West that loses only one game to Nebraska but then wins the rest of their games – you, you know what I'm saying? So right. Nebraska could potentially go undefeated in your division, but you're not going to the Big Ten championship game because the crossovers count. And, and, and I think, and I don't want to speak for Bill, but I, but I think what he was trying to convince the Big Ten of is if you are going to make our crossovers this hard in a year with only eight games, can we put a little bit more weight in those division games? Obviously, that's not going to happen this year. I do want to squash any of the conspiracy theorists out there. I've heard those who said, well, if Nebraska hadn't complained so much on August 11th or August 12th, they wouldn't have Ohio State in week one and Wisconsin in week two and Penn State in week four. Now, that's not true. And I hope everybody that has some common sense and logic understands that the Big Ten didn't spank Nebraska with those four games. They were going to play them anyway. It's just the fact that now they've fallen so early on the schedule. Uh, and I would say this, the Penn State game, this is the one year, right, that you want Penn State on the road. Oh, because completely. there's no crap. And there's no whiteout. And, you know, one of Ohio State's road games is at Penn State. So everybody looks at Ohio State's schedule and says, man, did the Buckeyes come up lucky? But that's just, that's just a roll of the dice because they were in Columbus last year and in Penn State two years ago. Rick, there is a strong narrative of payback around here. Yeah, with, I understand with, that. I with, with not just the, the schedule was going to be the schedule. Let's look back to pre-COVID. I mean, the, the final five right. were going to be murder. It was it was already stacked. Do you want it early or do you want it late? And it's time for Nebraska. And I think their their players and staff and headman. You know, they're not going to back down. We'll see where Nebraska is at against Penn State and Ohio State. We'll see where they're at against Iowa and Wisconsin. I mean, and, and to, to go down further the list, uh, Minnesota and, and Purdue. I mean, those are all teams that have done well against Nebraska, not just once in a while. I mean, they've got win streaks against Nebraska. So, Hey, uh, Illinois went to a bowl game last year, right? And, and that they beat game Wisconsin. at the beginning of last year was off the chains good. I, yeah. I mean, I was there for that game in Champaign, and Nebraska was lucky with that second half comeback to win that game. So, uh, I mean, there, is, there are no easy outs right now. Exactly. I think the West is getting significantly better, and I think that plays into this as well. Obviously, listen, 
everybody had to lose a game. And if you're going to lose a game, and no offense right now to Rutgers, but you would want that game to stay on your schedule, right? Yeah. So you, you lose that. I understand, but the Big Ten was in a tough spot because you go from nine to eight, and then they are tasked with making sure that everybody has four and four home and away, right? And you're trying not to play both your crossovers on the road. You're trying not to have four home division games and two road division sure. games. So, unfortunately, it all comes down to those calculations. And, yeah, did Nebraska probably lose a little bit? Did other teams benefit from the 9-8? to eight? And did Nebraska probably pay a little bit of a price? I think that's a fair statement. Rick Pizzo's with us, uh, Big Ten Network at BTN. Uh, Rick Pizzo on Twitter. The uh, the schedule's a schedule. It's just how it was stacked that some folks raise their eyebrows with. But you know what? I, I'd rather get Wisconsin week two. I'd rather get Ohio State week one than when they are uh, loaded and healthy and ready to go. Uh, so let's just see how these first four play out. I love the plus one. Doesn't that sound fun at the end of the year? Yeah. I think it's a great concept. You know, I think everybody put their heads together and started to think, how do we get to nine games? That's the only way you get to nine games. And Jerry Zidardo brought up a great point yesterday. We did our big show together, and he reminded everyone that Barry Alvarez, when explaining that plus one in the Champions Week, said, you know what? If two teams finish in the same spot in their respective divisions and they're headed to Indy, or they're headed, I should say, to Champions Week mm-hmm. to play each other, and they play during the regular season, we might tweak. We might make sure that they don't play each other. You know, Jerry said, forget it. Rematches are great. Let those teams, you assume that they finished both fourth or both sixth or both second. They had pretty good matchups in all likelihood with other teams that are similar in talent, and they probably had a pretty good matchup against each other. They're probably fairly even. So I'm with Jerry on that. That's the only tweak I'd make. Just play it out one V1, seven versus seven, all the way up and down the ladder. And if it's a rematch, it's a rematch. It just helps build up a little more anticipation. Rick, uh, question, biggest question out of the West, biggest team with questions out of the East right now, and it's a year of questions. I get it with COVID, but I look at Sparty. I look at uh, uh, Minnesota with some of their departures, and unless they get some waivers, uh, Wisconsin's got to reload a bit on offense. Who, who are you wondering most about out of the West and out of the East? Indiana, too. I mean, Indiana's got some momentum coming back. Yeah, I'll, I'll start in the East. And, I mean, the, the biggest question, you mentioned Michigan State. I mean, nobody has any idea right now, right? I mean, Brian DeWorky said all sorts of records. He's gone. Mark D'Antonio turned that program into a national program. I'm mean, a college football playoff program, a program that – had a great record against Michigan when he was there, one of the first and only Michigan State coaches to do that. Had a great rivalry with Ohio State when he was there. Now Mel Tucker returns to the Big Ten for the first time in forever, and there were questions uh, you know, about his hire, not because he didn't understand the Big Ten, but because of his couple of years that were mildly you know, successful mm-hmm. out in Rado. So I think there's a lot of questions right now at Michigan State when you start to look at the East. I think there are several teams in the West. You mentioned Minnesota. That'll be fascinating. If Rashad Bateman comes back, then I think immediately they become, if not the favorite in the West, they certainly are return to becoming one of the favorites because you have Tanner Morgan back, Muhammad Ibrahim, so you have running backs, and then you have Bateman. They have Chris Aubin Bell back, who's a really good wide receiver. I mean, they would be a stacked team if Bateman comes back. I think Wisconsin has some questions as well, and Purdue. 
what does Purdue look like? Because remember, last year, Chris, we thought Purdue was maybe ready to make this step, and they were just crushed by injuries. I mean, they could barely field an offensive line. Rondale Moore went down, declared for the draft. Would he at any point consider opting back in? I mean, there are a couple of questions in the East, but I tell you, man, there are so many questions in the West. I can list every team in the West, and I would have at least six or seven legitimately intriguing questions for all those teams in the West. Let's uh, wrap up with some questions you have about Nebraska, and then I don't want to call them certainties in an uncertain year, but where, where do you feel maybe better about Nebraska as well? Let's go both sides. All right, well, I'll go with the question mark first, and this actually does apply to both sides of the ball. I felt like last year, most of the time, for the first time since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, they weren't overmatched at the line of scrimmage, really on both sides of the ball. And now you lose some big-time talent, especially on the defensive line, right? So can you still do what you need to do defensively? And you and I have had this conversation many times. I don't think Nebraska – really can be because of the style of offense that they want to play or need to be one of the best defensive teams in the Big Ten. They need to be slightly above average. So can they be that despite the fact that they've lost a lot up front on the defensive line? I think one of their biggest strengths is going to be their pace because I think this year it is going to pay more dividends than any other. It's a truncated schedule, remember. You're playing eight games in eight weeks. You add Champions Week, you have nine and nine. Teams don't have a chance to take a breath. I'm not so sure that teams, even though they said that they have worked out just as hard, there have been teams with pauses, teams with breaks in their workouts. Are they really as conditioned as they want to be? And when you face an offense that likes to run at the pace that Nebraska runs at, that can really hurt you. So I think late in the year, that could pay huge dividends for Nebraska as long as, Chris, and this is the key, as long as you keep the football in the hands of the guys wearing the correct colored jerseys. Because if you turn it over, it doesn't matter how fast you go on offense. Keep possession of the ball, you go quick. I think late in the year it could lead to some big things for Nebraska. You know, there's a lot of excitement with just the the depth and the the cohesion perhaps on the offensive line. Everybody has started at some point except for where they're trying to figure out a, a, a young but really talented right tackle. Farniak could move inside. I'm anxious to see Adrian Martinez, what type of bounce back he has. I know that's not groundbreaking uh, when it comes to, to bullet points on the season. But also, you know, what Nebraska does, Rick, with McCaffrey in maybe a Tebow-type yeah. role. I mean, that could be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, and with that offensive line that allows you to do things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is... That is a key, you know, that everybody looks at offenses like Nebraska's that like to go so fast and they have talent like Martinez and receivers that they've had in the past, guys that can take the top off like Spielman and obviously Wandale being an unbelievable athlete. If guys don't block, it doesn't matter, right? So, as I said, last year I thought was the first time that Nebraska really matched up almost on a week-to-week basis on the line. They'll clearly be able to do that on the offensive line. Will they be able to do that defensively? I think that is something we'll find out. I think we're going to find out, obviously, with Ohio State, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and Penn State, three of your first four. You're going to find out pretty quickly. Rick Pizzo, Big Ten Buffet at BTN. Rick Pizzo. Rick, great to get caught up again. Thanks for a few minutes. Schmitty, it's been too long, man. Let's not wait this long next time. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut 
preteen Swedish boy. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Let's get caught up with uh, play-by-play man for Fox. Good to see him at Texas, Texas Tech this weekend. Great to have college football back. Tim Brando with us. You also see him on the NFL with Fox. Tim, a pleasure to spend uh, a few minutes with you. Thanks for your time. How's your day? Great. You know, every day's a, <laughs> a, new, a new discovery, it seems, turning around for this Texas-Texas Tech game. Uh, you know, we're all going through different adjustments and adaptations. I can tell you, I just had my first home rapid COVID test. This is my third test in uh, 14 days now, going back to the Kansas game that uh, started our season. And, and, of course, I had one last week that I had to get prior to going to the NFL game. And this week, because of the quick turnaround and I'm driving out on Thursday, I'm going to drive to Lubbock. I just felt like, and, and I still do feel like, uh, if, if your only option is a plane that's completely full, and that's the case with Lubbock, there are not many flights in there. Mm. I'm just going to drive and stay safe. I want to keep getting negatives. You know, negatives means positive. I get to, I get to work. So... <laughs> so I'm going to drive out on Thursday. I had to do it at home. This is the first time I've actually done one of these at home. You know, you freeze it and wait for the courier to come and pick it up. And it's just, you know, the world we live in today. And at the same time we were Zooming, I just tweeted out a short time ago that um, Spencer Tillman was actually in the barbershop in Houston, just outside Houston in Sugarland, And we found out that we had uh, an opportunity to Zoom chat with both uh, Texas and Texas Tech players today. And so we had to, you know, make the change there and just do it on the fly. It makes for a fun-filled day. You just don't know what to expect every day when you wake up. We'll talk to the coaches later in the week, but it's, you know, you always want to have access to the guys you're covering, and these young men are the people that you're talking about. So it was great to have a chance to chat with them, and uh, kudos to both schools for allowing that to happen. King of the Rapid Test, Tim Brando, at Tim Brando's, where you find him on Twitter. Tim, a lot's happened, and I want to kind of get your take. You've covered college football for a number of years. What's your view? What's your takeaway with Nebraska as part of this saga with the Big Ten and return to play? Well, I appreciate your uh, being kind to me on my my years in it because it's it's actually getting close to a handful of decades that I've been doing this. But I still feel young and spry and still believe my best games are ahead of me at this stage of my career. I flat out love what Nebraska did. And I, I think they and, and Ohio State, all the players really, that have fought to play. I think uh, in just chatting with the kids at Texas and Texas Tech uh, today, They, the level of uncertainty they had, all the things that they went through, fans and people that are not necessarily understanding of sports or they just look at it as entertainment for them, they'll believe they comprehend the hoops these guys jump through just to be able to get out on the field and play. You know, they were told back in March, back in the spring, about spring break time, which was when I was told at Madison Square Garden to stop broadcasting at halftime of the Big East tournament, they were told to go home and don't come back. They were told, don't come to the facilities, don't work out with your teammates. Everything that was controlled within the weight room process, they were outlawed from it, couldn't go there. So they had to find other ways to keep themselves in shape with the understanding that they plan on playing football for a a long time to come. In each case, all the players that are there, and I think this is certainly true at Nebraska, they held fast and they followed the protocols and they did what was asked of them. By the time they got back a couple of months later, they were under 
under strict protocols that they, they knew they had to follow, and the coaching staff assured them if they did everything and followed the rules that they were going to have a chance to play. When they were suddenly thrown under the bus on August the 11th and the decision was made, I thought very prematurely by the Big Ten, they had to be just incredibly disappointed. What do you do? How do you respond to that kind of disappointment? Do you get angry? Do you just uh, pack your bags and go home? No, you fight. You fight. And that's what they did. I applaud their efforts. Uh, and really the, the people that will buy their sides, their parents, their coaches, uh, in some cases from an administrative standpoint, as was the case at Nebraska and certainly at Ohio State and several others, their administrations got behind them. Without that kind of work ethic, we wouldn't be talking about Big Ten football coming back at the end of October. And we are. You know, they fought the establishment and they won. And I think they're to be congratulated. With every effort, though, they're always going to be dissenters. Anyone that works hard to get where they want to go uh, will find out fast in our country that not everyone appreciates your work ethic. Not everyone is going to applaud your efforts. Uh, That's just part of life. Uh, And there are many with philosophical viewpoints that uh, are far different from those players, those administrators, maybe even the sportscaster. (laughs) <laughs> and you've got to understand that that's, that that's not going to change. You're not going to change the minds of those that believe uh, we shouldn't be playing. But in truth, you're playing because of the efforts you made and the way that you were able to make those that had said, not only were you not going to play, but within 24 hours of that, put out a letter saying it will not be revisited. So to, to go up against that, and to get the, the minds to change of, of the conference and the conference office. And by the way, I give them credit, too. I, I give Kevin Warren and the people at the Big Ten who, who came back to this and said, you know what, uh, we need to revisit this. Things have changed in the last five weeks. I give them credit, too. Um, minds can be changed, but it's going to take effort to get them to change. And uh, I thought Nebraska and was at the forefront of that. And, and certainly Justin Fields at Ohio State. You know, Chris, you can make a case. No player has more to lose by playing this year than Justin Fields. I mean, he's he was a guaranteed number one draft pick, probably the first quarterback to be taken. If not Trevor Lawrence, certainly he's right mm-hmm. after him. Uh, so you can make a case that uh, from his position right now, from a draft stock standpoint, he stood a better chance of dropping in the draft than gaining. And yet he was the most fervent of players saying, you know, I'm putting my foot down and saying, I'm not going to stand for this. Uh, we're going to fight to get back on the field. So uh, that, that's, that's one that jumps out at, in my mind. And I think he speaks for uh, the greater good of not only uh, his teammates at Ohio state, but for all of college football that had taken uh, the beating and had been told that they weren't going to play this year. Tim Brando is with us, uh, play-by-play man with Fox College Football NFL at Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim, you've seen a lot of co- coaches come and go. Where are you at on Scott Frost uh, as he enters into year three at Nebraska? The schedule was, le- was released. It's not a, it's not an easy schedule to start <laughs> out for Nebraska, but. Husker fans' reaction has been, bring it on. Let's see where this team's at. Yeah. And uh, as you look at Coach Frost, uh, what are you thinking about this year and beyond? There's a lot of support in red here in this state, but from a national perspective, I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Well, he's going to be fine. Uh, you know, I think I, I gave him the uh, – I hexed him. I jinxed him, I think, a little bit uh, when I was on hand for the very first game he was going to coach. And he, he brought the team out to a thunderous roar. And we had a kickoff. Uh, and then after the kickoff, the, 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 the clouds broke and we had a storm the, yeah. unlike any other I think they've ever seen in Lincoln didn't get the game in, and then the season didn't go well. And last year, it wasn't much better. But I, I do believe that he's not only a, a, a transcendent coach, I think he's a coach that ultimately will uh, bring Nebraska back to its lofty perch uh, in college football. I, I really mean that. Uh, I called him this generation's Nick Saban, uh, and and I've gotten a lot of heat for it. Uh, you mentioned Twitter. I've gotten my share of heat for it because of the seasons that he's had the last two years. Uh, I had him in my preseason top ten last year, and it obviously didn't work out. The breakthrough team out of the Western Division, as it turned out, was Minnesota. Um, I think with the original schedule Nebraska had, uh, I really like their chances of, of really turning it around this year. You know, having a bowl season uh, now with the, the schedule changing, and <laughs> they didn't get any favors from the conference office. No doubt about that. And, and you know what? That's true in a lot of other places in big leagues where they're playing conference-only schedules. Uh, the SEC, I thought, did its best to protect its best, mm-hmm. which you have to understand is in the best interest of the league. Ohio State, um, without question, and Penn State are the two teams that lead the way in the, uh, in the, in the Big Ten. And, and Alabama, LSU, Georgia uh, lead the way, I think, uh, in the SEC. And I thought the SEC did their best to protect Alabama and LSU as much as they could, though at some point you're going to have to play some really great teams in that league. Um, the lesser lights of those conferences, uh, the Missouris, the Arkansas's, uh, by example, in the SEC, and I think to some extent Nebraska uh, in the Big Ten got very, very difficult draws. But I do believe that they're capable of uh, getting through the season with um, you know, a, a, a great turnaround. I think they have a chance to win uh, certainly more than they did a year ago, and if they had more games, I think they could put themselves in a, in a nice bowl game. I, I, I would... Uh, Stay away from predicting a number sure. against that schedule because it's 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 a conference only schedule, and with COVID we just don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. everything's changing every week. Uh, you just saw the story today about Notre Dame not practicing, so we all have to understand that every week is an adventure. But I, I really believe that they're on the precipice of something great, and once we get back to a point where um, we have the no- normal twelve game season and the um, non-conference games to help get you ready for the start of the Big Ten season. I think Nebraska in coming years, the next three or four years, is going to be a major factor in college football again. And I, I think Frosty is the reason why. And the consistency that comes from having him from a recruiting standpoint and and just the, the fit. You know, I think finally fans of Nebraska feel like they can really line up behind their guy. And that has really not been the case. Uh, since since Frank Solich was gone. And, you know, Frank, I thought, uh, unfortunately, was, was shown the door too soon. Uh, I think that he was, he was never going to be Tom Osborne, but I think the administration didn't support him. And I'm not sure if the coaches 
that followed him had similar support either. But I know Frosty does, and the, the, the reality is he's ready for this. He's already been a successful coach. And when people say, well, UCF is not uh, you know, a power five job, well, look at the way they're playing now. Look at what he left for uh, Josh Heupel and the job that UCF is still doing. I'd say that's big-time football. Scott knows how to win, and uh, he no doubt, in my opinion, will at Nebraska. Good stuff from Tim Brando. Hail Varsity Radio will have some more time with uh, the Fox play-by-play man, NFL, and, of course, college. So, uh, Tim Brando, believe it or not, the uh, first man for college game day. We'll get into that. Some thoughts on Bino Cook. And what's he think of LSU's title defense? More to come with Hale Varsity. Tim Brando continues on ESPN Lincoln. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Tim Brando with us from Fox, uh, play-by-play man, college football, and the NFL at uh, Tim Brando on Twitter. Tim, this time of year, I would have my annual phone call with Bino Cook. He'd answer his phone <laughs> in, his, in his apartment in Pittsburgh and go, Lieutenant Colombo. Oh, uh, yeah. And we would talk uh, We would talk Nebraska. There would be some stories about Devaney that I, I ended up not being able to air, but I loved, <laughs> I loved talking to, to Bino Cook. And yeah. now that I've had a chance to, to spend a few minutes with you, I'd love a thought or two from you. You had a lot of years with Bino at ESPN. Well, I wouldn't be where I am in college football today without the years spent with Bino. We had two of the greatest years that I've ever had in college football when we began college game day with a young a young guy to television but an old coach named Corso who auditioned <laughs> who auditioned with me and he's the only thing left from our I hope Lee stays uh, on game day, if, they, if he's propping himself up from a Barker lounger at home in Orlando just to put the, the headgear on at the end of the show, that's fine with me because having some lasting piece of, of that period with Bino still on the game day set, uh, it just makes me feel all good inside. I mean, it really does. And Lee has always been quick to point out uh, those early days, and not everyone does uh, in our business, and it really means a lot. Bino was just a... a a crown jewel. He was a national treasure. He appreciated when I started out. I got to him in my early 30s. I was 30, 31 years old when we started game day. I'd begun at ESPN in 85, and I was out calling games. And then they asked me to do the sidelines and host from the site in 1986. And I didn't realize at that time that 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 they were grooming me for this new show that they were going to start the following year called College Game Day. And it was going to be the first ever hour-long pregame show for college football. Not even in the days of Beans with Jim Lampley uh, at ABC did they have a pregame show. They just came on the air, went to the the game site, and then you saw them at halftime or on the Prudential College scoreboard Mm -hmm. uh, after the game was over, but they never had a pregame show. Bino was was the first to say, Prato, listen. If I go six and all with my picks, I'll buy you breakfast next week. But if I don't go six and all, you've got to buy breakfast every week because it's my my pearl of wisdom. My pearls of wisdom are going are to make you great, but you've got to pick up the check. <laughs> and uh, it, you know, it, it, and he did. He passed along many pearls of wisdom to me uh, that stay with me until this day. Uh, whenever I give. Uh, Games, whenever my start time for a football game comes up, I'll always say, uh, join us at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 Central, 
11 Mountain, he used to always say, for crying out loud, they never give the mountain time zone. <laughs> yeah. why, why, if you're in Utah, or, what, what are the people in Utah thinking? Okay, what time is do they even care? <laughs> so I'm always thinking about uh, beans, regardless of uh, you know, how it comes up. It might be with Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, something happens with Notre Dame. Or I'm calling a Notre Dame game, and uh, he'll say something along the lines. I'll never forget him saying, uh, Notre Dame has the best home field advantage since the Kremlin. Uh, wow. <laughs> and uh, maybe one of the greatest plays of all time, the Bowden Ruski um, that uh, that Bobby Bowden ran wants to beat Clemson. Yeah, the fake uh, punt, right? The fake punt, and he said, uh, "We're on the we're in the, on the set," and he says, "Timmy, that was the that's the greatest play since my fair lady." so that's my best Beano for you there that's pretty good Tim Brando's with us on Hale Varsity Radio Tim uh, last thought and I'll let you go and it's awesome to spend a few minutes with you thanks so much you're close to the LSU program what do you what do you look at for LSU I know they open up with Pirate this weekend yeah and uh, they've they've lost a lot but they've got a lot of talent it's kind of Nebraska South down there with Coach Bo down there and yeah. Uh, some assistance, but uh, what, what's your outlook for the Tigers this year? Well, that, that's going to be an interesting thing to, to watch is uh, they adopt the Bo Pelini 4-3. Now, you know, Coach O is uh, tight with Pelini, mm-hmm. uh, and, who, I mean, you can't find a better uh, guy to work for than Orgeron, and I know Pelini probably feels like he's captured lightning in a bottle to get back to coaching thoroughbreds like the ones recruited to LSU. You know, he had... Um, a lot to do with that national championship victory over Ohio State, which meant a lot to him when he was working for Les Miles. Um, and they got that title back in 2007. And as you recall, he, he, he said he would not leave and come fully to Nebraska until that title game was over. I think that now, given the losses that they incurred, they've only got six starters remaining from the first 22 that they had a year ago. But as I tell people, and this is why I've got them, still in my top four, Miles um, Brennan is ready, I mean, to run this offense. And the offense, even without Joe Brady, who's gone to the Carolina Panthers, this offense is going to be fine with Scott Linehan in his position and with Steve Insminger, who, who was the co-author of that offense with Brady, is still the play caller and still in the position to make it happen. So I don't think that they skip a beat. I mean, this system is intact. Some of the names have changed, and obviously the loss of Edwards Hilaire to, to the Chiefs, and obviously uh, a wide receiver like Jamar Chase, who's decided to opt out. You're looking at a new name, uh, guys that have to replace the Justin Jeffersons of the world that I, I just saw in, in Indianapolis last week. It will be, it will take some getting used to the new names, but I'm here to tell you they're deep. They're three deep at every spot. And this is why I love them, and I still think that they can contend for the playoff. Now, you know, the SEC is so good, Chris, and I believe with the abbreviated schedules, this may be true in the Big Ten as well. You know, you could have Ohio State and Penn State with each having a loss. Maybe somebody else gets into the mix. Maybe it is Minnesota again. But in the SEC, the thought of a two-loss champion 
given how the schedule may cannibalize that league, I mean, 10 games, all all conference games, the potential of Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU, all being in contention and all with one loss, say, late in the year, I think is legitimate. There's a chance that you could have an SEC team with one loss and maybe an SEC team with two losses, you know, getting into this playoff because of the strength of their schedule. A lot will depend, I think, on what happens with the group of five leagues like the Cincinnati's, UCF's, and, and Louisiana's, you know, that have already made a mark, but they don't have anybody to play in their own league that, that comes to the level of SEC or Big Ten opposition. So multiple teams out of that conference, and with one of those multiple teams being the defending champion, I think is the potential is real for that to happen. And the Big Ten, I think, is another league that comes into that category. But this is going to be a strange year, unlike any other. And with that in mind, I think the chances for a team that still has, even though 16 of their starters are gone, so many of those backups played appreciable time, and they have taken the path all the way to the title. And that bodes well, I think, in a year that is so bizarre and so up for grabs like uh, the COVID-19 year that college football is involved in. Tim, we'll do this again. Thanks so much for your time. It was wonderful to chat some college ball with you. Don't ever change. Don't ever change. But if you do, don't let Stephanie Powers watch. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) All the best. Take care. Tim Brando, man. And the Beano is spot on. Somewhere in my nightstand, I have a CD with all my Beano Cook interviews from 15, 20 years ago. Beano is the best. I did not keep all of the Devaney commentary by Beano. I wish I would have. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, going to want to download this one. A good show today. Tim Brando, national man for Fox, NFL, and college football. Some thoughts on Nebraska's travels through COVID-2020 and the outspokenness of the players and coaches. So some good thoughts on Nebraska from Tim Brando. Mitch Sherman, fantastic. We dove into year three of Adrian Martinez. Rick Pizzo, Big Ten Buffet. Some takes on not only the West, but also Moose's thoughts on, you know, the, the divisional angle he had where you need to look at just counting your division games to declare a division winner. Our old buddy Ken emailed in, Chris at HaleVarsity.com, asked me if I had been doing a patio show early this week, drinking, when I said splitting with Ohio State or Penn State. And you can breathalyzer me, it's okay. Damon's like, you sure? Uh, No, I mean, I'm saying if you want to win the West, the best way to to do it's a one-loss league champion, division champion. I don't know that Nebraska's schedule screams seven and one as you head into the, to the plus one game, right? So I'm saying your your best hope is to split with your crossovers. That's a big ask. I get it because you still have Minnesota, you still have Wisconsin, you still have Iowa that looms. Who knows if Lovey's team will be 
oh, yeah, we just beat Wisconsin good, or if they're going to be, we can't finish a game. Same with Purdue. I mean, who knows? So I always enjoy this part of the show on Tuesdays. Tomorrow, we will talk with Mike Babcock. Tomorrow, we'll talk with Brad Edwards. Maybe either tomorrow or Thursday, we'll have the Pirate, Mike Leach. Which is cool. Thursday's show, we are live at Seacrest 4-6, to six, ahead of kickoff at 7 for Lincoln Southeast and East on ESPN Lincoln. So, Pirate today, or I should say tomorrow or, or Thursday, but we'll have the Pirate for sure this week. Ahead of LSU. I'm going to ask him if he's going to feed Mike the Tiger before kickoff, because he opens up at LSU. And he's always had an affinity for live mascots. That's been well documented. I mean, he's gone through the mascots. I'd love to hear his take on, you know, how how he'd be freaking out if he was still in the Pac-12 right now. Shut down. So, Damon Barr, what is for dinner tonight? Is it dinner a movie? Is it wine Tuesday versus wine Wednesday? You scored astronomically well with your lawyer test. God love you. You're a smart kid. Proud of you. So what are we doing tonight? How are we celebrating? Well, we're going simple. It's It's been one of those weeks where, like, God, it's been such a long week and it's only, it's only Tuesday. Tuesday. So I'm going with a nice Runza sandwich, some onion rings, and uh, just sitting on the couch tonight. Okay. I got you. You're going to watch Lakers-Denver? Uh, yeah, I'm going to catch that one. Uh, hopefully Denver gets a win, makes the series a little, a little competitive. interesting. Yeah. It's all right. You know, it, it is a taco Tuesday at a lot of places. You could you could also also fire up a taco. I have a leftover burrito in the fridge from this weekend. See, so. that is that's going to stay right there. That's going to stay right there. I don't know that you can go burrito leftovers four days later and have anyone live to tell about it. We'll talk to you tomorrow at four on Hale Varsity. Thanks.